Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to D&D Library Talk. I'm Sam. I'm one of the team librarians at the Monroe County Public Library, and I help run a lot of D&D, RPG, and general nerd games. I'm Laura. I also work at the library, and I run some of those teen games. And I'm Scott. I'm a game designer and library volunteer. We're D&D players and GMs who have a lot of experience with a variety of game systems. We've all DM'd games at the library, and we're going to talk about how to make a game better. Everything from group dynamics to game design to world building. We'll talk about it. Hello and welcome to another actual play episode of D&D Library Talk. My name is Scott. I am joined once again by Sam and Laura. How are the both of you doing tonight? Pretty good. I'm excited to see if my character survives. <laughs> Same. Yeah, so we are going back into the Tomb of the Scorpion Queen. So if you have not already listened to the previous episodes of our actual play recordings, uh, we're breaking up the topic and discussion episodes with recordings of us playing a game similar to Dungeons & Dragons. And the goal of these episodes is to give you, the listener, uh, if you are new to role-playing games, an idea, an introduction as to what these games are like uh, and how they play and what some of the terms that you might hear uh, mean. Uh, If you are experienced with RPGs, uh, then they're just a fun way to break up some of the conversations. So I highly recommend you go back and listen to some of those previous episodes. You can get those on SoundCloud or anywhere that podcasts are uh, downloaded. I also recommend that you check out our previous episode on making your RPGs kid-friendly. We had a great interview with a guest, our first guest, actually. Before we dive into it, I want to give a brief recap of where the adventure has taken Miss Maple, played by (laughs) Laura, the Chaos Magician, and Errol, the Lawful Dwarf, played by Sam. They have just come off of a tense battle with a mummified stone automaton of a woman in a pharaoh queen's garb. They awoke this automaton after opening up a sarcophagus in an underground tomb filled with tiny bone boxes that were filled with equally tiny mummified women that they realized were fairies. Spelled P-H, like Pharaoh Fairies. Miss Maple tried to use her magic to battle the automaton, but unfortunately a miscast acid arrow spell caused this mummified stone golem creature to instead become empowered, and with its stony fists it knocked Errol, the dwarf bodyguard, unconscious. But because Miss Maple is a 10 out of 10 brain genius, (laughs) she decided to step back and use her ingenuity to lure the automaton towards a great stone pharaoh queen's face in the wall that was spewing a fountain of tar. Which I did look up, by the way, Laura. It is flammable. So going forward. Oh, neat. Okay. But also scary. (laughs) Yes, you can light it on fire. Uh, You managed to lure it to the other side of the tomb and it punched through the wall causing all the tar to spill out onto it destroying the mummy automaton 
but also revealing a secret chamber. Both you and Errol the Dwarf were badly wounded, and you hobbled your way into this secret chamber. And within was a sarcophagus filled with shimmering, lustrous water. You lowered yourself into it like a bath, and to your surprise, you found it was healing water. All of your wounds were healed, and all of your magical powers were replenished. So both of you are at full health, and all of your spells and powers are restored. You also found, and Miss Maple, you are carrying this item, a saddle of the Scorpion Knight, which you can use to ride Errol as a mount when he uses his Ring of the Scorpion Queen to transform into a giant scorpion. Where we left off from the previous episode, you had made your way north from the tomb that you did battle in, breaking your way through a secret panel in the back of the sarcophagus from which this mummy stone golem emerged and entered a corridor. Now, for those uh, at home, I am showing Sam and Laura a map. Uh, I will be sharing this map and all of the illustrations that I use in tonight's session on the library website so you can download and follow along at home. So Errol, the dwarf, the sturdy bodyguard, led the way into this hallway, which was lined on either side by Pharaoh Queen faces carved into the walls. And when Errol made his way about halfway into this hallway, the entire corridor began to rumble, and sandstone blocks began to slowly grind down over both the entrance to this hallway and the exit on the far side. And that is where we left off. So I'm going to start with you, Miss Mabel. And I'm going to explain how this chamber works. So this is a trapped hallway deep within the heart of the Tomb of the Scorpion Queen. There are six of these faces of the menacing Scorpion Queen in her pharaoh's headdress, three on each wall to the left and the right. Their mouths are open and about an arm's reach into the wall. You can see there are bone boxes that rattle with the shaking of the walls and the floor and the ceiling. And there are curtains of sand that fall down. You can, if you choose, decide to keep dashing forward and slide underneath the stone block that is sealing over the far exit. If you do so, you will come to no harm and make it into the chamber beyond. Or you can decide to stay in the hallway and rummage to stick your arm into one of the open mouths and search the bone boxes. But the longer that you linger inside the hallway, 
the greater chance there is that you will be sealed in here forever, another entombed body in this ancient necropolis. Oh gosh. Um, well, I am a, a weak mortal creature, and uh, while Miss Maple's gonna keep running, but just also going to try to quickly reach out one hand, grab, and keep dashing, so just randomly choosing from one of those faces. So unfortunately, because of how deep, you have to basically stick your entire arm into one of the mouths and press your entire body in. You'll be able to grab one item, but you'll have to make a saving throw with a target number of seven to then escape. <laughs> I'll do it. Okay. And All I roll right. a d20. Do I add anything to that d20? So that would be, that's a 2d6 plus your saving oh, throw. Oh, that's right. I see the plus one. It's so, been so, really, long. so before you do that, um, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, write that number down on your sheet that you're at a seven right now. Because what we'll do is we're going to roll that final saving throw at the end. Because the longer you wait in here and grab more items, that number will go from a 7 to a 9 to an 11 to a 13, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. And if I fail this one, then I'm automatically entombed, right? Yeah. So okay. basically, the idea is... The longer you stay in here, the more you try to rummage through these boxes, the less likely it is you'll be able to escape in time. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm going to say Miss Maple's actually just going to keep dashing for it when she realizes it's going to take too long. Um, All right. So you throw your hood up and you plow through these curtains of sand that blast your face and you slide underneath and you watch the sandstone block slowly descend. Uh, so over to you, Errol. Your saving throw is pretty good and you are standing in the middle of this hallway. There are six pharaoh queen faces, six gilded bone boxes deep within their throats. Some of them may contain very valuable treasures. Some may contain just rotting bones. Some may contain ancient curses. The target number is seven if you stay for one round, and that number increases the longer you hang out. Yeah, my current saving throw is plus two, but because I have the Cloak of Resistance, it actually is plus three to that, so I actually have a plus five total to my saving throws, uh, which is pretty good. Then you automatically succeed, since even if you got Snake Eyes, you'd get a seven, right? Is that true, Scott? So the, that, uh, we... the, if the target number is seven, the only way you would fail on your first one is if you rolled double ones, because that's a critical yeah. failure. Oh. Yeah. yeah, just wanted to make sure that it wasn't like a secret, like the Cloak of Resistance doesn't apply to sand. Yeah. <laughs> no, so this one would be uh, basically, you could only critically fail on the first one. Um, ironically, Errol is going to be the one who makes the risky choice this time. It's going to run all the way to the end, but then on the last uh, face on the top right, he's going to shove his arm all the way in to try to grab something out. All right, so as the dwarf, your arms are sort of shorter and stubbier than the tall and lithe chaos magician, so you stand on the toes of your boots and you stuff your arm in. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bring the dice roller up here. I'm going to roll a d6, and that's going to determine the contents of the bone box that you pull from deep within the throat 
of this Pharaoh Queen's face carved into the wall. And all I can tell you right now is that higher is better. Are you ready? Yep. Sand rushes down around you. You can feel the wall rumble around your arm and your shoulder. Here we go. So you pull the bone box free, you pull it open, you brush the sand from your eyes, and within is a handful of gold coins and precious gems. The stone blocks continue to lower and grind. Sand continues to snake down the walls. You can see hieroglyphs glow faintly in the gloom. If you wish to grab another one, the target number to escape will increase to nine. Do you wish to stay what and is grab good. another one? What or is do good. you want to make a saving throw against target number seven to escape? I think I'm going to go for escape. I'm going to run. All right. So you have your gold and gems in the bone box tucked, tucked underneath underneath your armor. Go ahead and roll a saving throw. Uh, that is a 15. <laughs> yeah. So you easily, despite your stocky stature and your heavy armor, uh, Miss Maple, you're just watching, and all you can see is just this stone block covered in hieroglyphs grinding down. And in the space between the bottom of the stone and the rough floor is just a swirling cloud of sand and dust and you just you hear commotion and you're just like come on come on Errol describe how you make your exit from this gauntlet of traps so I can imagine that like Errol is just going to be like cursing himself for like going for this handful of gold he's going to be like running with it but he's going to have like a few gold coins and like rubies and stuff slipping through his fingers and he's going to be muttering curses to himself and Dwarvis and I can imagine the sand is filling up more so it's kind of like wading through thick snow because it's probably up to his shins or something at this point so he's trying to like run through this he like sprints through the door but the door is probably you know lowering and lowering he tries to like do a tuck and roll and like just rolls onto the floor in front of Miss Maple and just lets out a heavy sigh and then sticks his hand up and says we have gold now. I'm going to give a nice little clap. Good job. <laughs> Very good job. So, Miss Maple, how, how do you feel about um, Errol the Dwarf recovering gold and gems? Do you feel it was worth the risk? Mm, for being trapped for eternity, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were hoping for the Book of the Dead, which is the mm-hmm. object of your quest down here in the tomb. Mm-hmm. If it were the Book of the Dead, then I guess it would be worth being trapped for all eternity, but otherwise, probably not. <laughs> there is a thunderous slam of the stone against the floor, and a final plume of dust and sand. The way back is sealed. You can only go forward now deeper into the tomb of the Scorpion Queen. You turn around, 
an arrow, you light your torch once again. And a large chamber opens out before you. And you are standing down here. So this is the sealed block. Can you see my cursor? Mm-hmm. Yes. So this, this little rubble here, if you remember, there was a path of coins that were pressed into the ground that had little sun disks on them. This path that started in the tomb of the fairies that wend, wended through this trap passage that you just escaped from leads into a chamber that is decorated with underground palm trees that somehow grow despite there being no sunlight at all. And the walls are painted with murals that despite the peeling and faded paint depicts a beautiful serene picture that I will show you now and Errol you hold your torch up to it and the scene is calming despite the harrowing surroundings that you have found yourself in these past several hours hmm The image is of a woman in regal garb, and she is standing over a city that is being slowly flooded by emerald green water. Palm trees jut up towards a sun-baked city, an Egyptian city decorated with great columns temples and other royal structures painted with hieroglyphs and murals and mosaics she wears a blue wristband and a blue band that holds her hair into a ponytail both shaped in the likeness of a scorpion a coiled scorpion and rather than despairing at the flood she reaches down and drinks from the water as if celebrating its rise. In the center of this oasis-like chamber, there is what was once a pool of water, a pool of green water, but the water has formed itself into a two-headed serpent, Mm. a water weird. But it is frozen, and it drips with icicles. But the icicles do not hang down, as if the icicles were hanging from the roof of an inn after a snowstorm. But rather, the icicles are blown directly backwards, as if this two-headed water weird, this elemental, were blasted by a cone of coal and the water weird were were frozen in place. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And suspended 
upside down in the frozen water weird, as if swallowed during battle, is an unconscious cleric still clutching her spellbook. And Miss Maple, your magic sense tingles. There are still spell scrolls in that spellbook. And then there are there are passages off uh, to the east and the west, and I'll describe those when you get closer. Does this cleric look alive, or...? Unfortunately, no. Hmm. Well, first, if I can, I would like to try and snap off an icicle and, like, just take a taste of it after seeing that mural. <laughs> Dark. Yeah, it tastes uh, surprisingly sweet. And I will remind you that both of you have uh, one Oasis potion from the previous session. And you can drink that to regain 10 hit points and one use of a power that you've used up. Hmm. And that the way back to that um, sarcophagus is now sealed. Um, does it look like the water elemental is in any danger of, like, melting or gaining freedom uh, based on the rate of, uh, like, drift or anything like that? It does not, and it looks like it's been frozen like this for weeks. And, Errol, you're kind of holding your torch up to the ground, and the ground is covered in mud and tightly packed sand. And there are hurried footsteps and scuffs in the ground that looks like there was a battle here, signs of a struggle. Uh, And there is one set of footsteps, presumably the clerics, and then there's another set of footsteps that lead off to the west that must have been the wizard that cast Cone of Cold to freeze this water weird and then ran away. Does that make sense, what I'm describing? Yeah. And this water weird tower is like 10 feet tall. It's like this two-headed serpent of emerald-colored water. This fearsome, almost cobra-like figure. Um, (laughs) could I sling an acid arrow just right at the center and see what happens? Yeah. Um, and since it's frozen, you don't need to roll. That's an at-will power, right? Yes, it's a, like, a cantrip. It is five damage. Yeah. Uh, it, it it hits the frozen water weird, it hisses, and it bores a hole about a finger's length deep. So you can do this again. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to free the spell book? Yes, yeah. So here's what you can do. I will let you continue to do this to try to bore into the heart of the frozen water weird to liberate the uh, frozen clerics, the swallowed clerics spell book. You'll roll, but if you roll poorly, you may dissolve some or all of the spell book with the okay. acid. I'm willing to try that. So I'm just rolling 2d6. And you'll add whatever the number is on your key. Yep. Well, that's not good. The first one is three plus two, so five. Okay, so you get a little overeager with the acid, misjudge it, and you watch it just burns this hand-shaped gouge deep into the heart of the two-headed water weird. There are three scrolls 
that were inside the spell book. So what I need you to do for me, actually, you know, I'll go ahead and roll them for maximum drama. <laughs> so there were there are three uh, three scrolls here, and they're cleric scrolls. So unfortunately, the dwarf could not use them, but you could as a spellcaster. There was Hand of Fate, which is like an augury type spell. There's Speak with Dead, and then there was Raise Dead. Oh. I'm gonna roll. 1d3, a three-sided die, twice to determine which two scrolls get destroyed. Oh, no. And then you'll get to take the the one that remains. Okay. On a one or a two, Hand of Fate is destroyed. Three and a four, Speak with Dead is destroyed. Five and a six, Raise Dead is destroyed. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. And they're basically ranked, like, in order of power. So here we go. First one that's destroyed. Raise dead oh. is destroyed. Ooh, this is so that's tough. sad. You hate to see it. Yeah. All right. So now I'll roll a uh, let's see a d4. So on a one and two, hand of fate is destroyed, and on a three or four, speak with dead is destroyed. Brutal. <laughs> that's a four. So. The two most powerful scrolls in the book were burned away by the acid, leaving only Hand of Fate. So you tear that scroll, that page, out of the book, but you gain that spell. So here's how that spell works. Um, You can cast it once. And a ghostly hand appears in front of you. Uh, You can ask it a question about the dungeon. And the hand will make a gesture uh, that gives you a truthful answer. So if it's a yes or no type question, it'll do a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Uh, If you ask it a location type question, it will point in the direction. Um, If it's a different type of question, it will try to gesture to the best of its ability. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I kind of just want to follow after that wizard. Mm-hmm. See if we can so, catch up. So there are three exits out of this oasis mm-hmm. chamber. Uh, there's the path where the footsteps lead into darkness to the west. And then there are two hallways to the east. Uh, there is one two I guess would be the, the northeasternmost, and this is an ornate archway and the stones set into the archway glow with hieroglyphs and the capstone at the very top of the archway is wrought in the likeness of the scorpion queen's sort of pharaonic headdress but it is filled with a billowing purple smoke. And it gives off a repulsive odor, like spoiled meat. And then down in this direction, sort of the south easternmost corridor, there is a crude archway and a short flight of steps that leads down 
and out into an unworked cavern. And I can reveal more if you want to peek down that way. And you can hear the sound of gruff voices in conversation. And the voices and Errol, your ears perk up, sound vaguely dwarvish. Arrow is going to advocate strongly against the uh, rotten meat smoke hallway. Same. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Uh, the dwarvish hallway that goes down, or do you want to follow the wizard? Uh, I'll leave it up to you. We could try um, eavesdropping on their conversation before we go further. Yeah, let's try a little bit of that. Can we uh, get a little bit closer and see if Errol can make out any of the conversation that's happening? Sure. So, um, what I'll do to expedite things a little bit, um, this corridor here has a wall of force where the map ends right here. Oh. But there's glowing writing on the ground. Oh. But it's not hieroglyphics. It doesn't really look like any common language. It looks like the language of magic. Can I read it? Let's go read that. Yes. So, uh, Miss Maple, you lead the way and you kneel down. And this writing, it looks like this message is being channeled from somewhere very, very far away. From another place and another time. And beyond this wall of force, you see a gray hazy dungeon chamber with pillars and a a great door that leads beyond. And when you bring all of your magical knowledge to bear, you are able to translate the message, and this is what it reads. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. To unlock more dungeons like this, please subscribe to the D&D Library Talk podcast. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I feel like I just got got. Oh, that was good. That was very good. <laughs> Looking for a subscribe button. <laughs> Any arcane runes or sigils. Uh, I feel like right after that, our editor should insert a DJ horn. Just like. <laughs> Can't believe I got got. Yeah. Well, Laura. I think we have to head down the stairs. Same. Miss Maple will head that way. All right. So I will move the... uh... So that's kind of the the connecting point there. So you walk to the edge of this flight, the short flight of stairs, and it descends down into a wide, unworked cavern. And when your light shines over the rough-hewn walls of sandstone that drips with moisture, you see that the ground is covered, not with mud or rubble or stalagmites, but a gilded 
densely packed miniature city. Pyramids, defensive walls, temples, and idols rise chest high. And avenues run through the city, crisscross, barely wide enough for you to shimmy through. At the far end of the cave, towering, colossal over this miniature city, is an obelisk. And standing around the obelisk are these creatures, a group of them. Mm. They are dwarvish, but not quite. Their armor is dark and chipped like charcoal. Their beards are a fiery red and their eyes glow like embers. Their teeth are yellowed and sharp. Some carry axes and cudgels while others carry crossbows. And in their beards are braided not beads or runes like what you would find braided in Errol's beard, but rather they have braided in the fiery hair of their own beards are fairy skeletons. Brutal. Nice. <laughs> you recognize these, Errol, as Durgar. So, Miss Maple, you don't know much about Duragar, but Errol, you do. That these are chaos-aligned dwarves. Explain to Miss Maple why the Duragar are shunned from dwarven civilization. They live deep, deep and far away, um, and have chosen to, uh, in the classic words, delve too greedily and too deep and uh, associate themselves with chaotic and dark powers and are no longer uh, what even we dwarves would call as civilized um, and seek only uh, their own power, their own wealth, uh, and their own interests. They don't seem very nice either because those fairy skulls in their beard. <laughs> yeah, also not a great indicator. Mm-hmm. And they are, there's, there's six of them. And they are regarding this great obelisk with confusion. And they are discussing among themselves what to do with it. Uh, does it look like they came in the same way we did? Or can we see another entrance that they might have used further in the chamber? So it looks as if across the way there was another passageway that led into this cave. But it has very recently collapsed probably due to the seismic activity that the two of you caused on your way in. Okay. And again, there's just like a miniature, almost like a diorama, just a a miniature city spread across the floor of this cavern. Uh, When Errol looks around, can he get a generalized sense of what the Draugr might be looking for uh, at the pillar based on uh, like speak with stone or something like that? Um, if you want to use Speak with Stone, um, 
Yeah, if you want to go ahead and use it. Yeah, I will use Speak with Stone. Okay, so you press your gauntleted hand against the stone, and it forms into a a woman's face with a headdress. And she whispers that a powerful artifact that grants mortals the power to stand among the goddess of death is nearby and that the obelisk is the key to that artifact. Mm. Uh, I communicate this to Miss Maple. Do you think we should try and talk to the Durgar? So you do know, Errol, that Durgar are the, um, they're not. They're not very much the uh, diplomatic type. Yeah. Uh, Arrow's gonna advocate for a surprise attack. Well, I can just sling a fireball at them. Hey. <laughs> I'm very sure that that they won't talk. Um. What is it they say that like uh, acid arrows are like to a particular person, whereas fireballs are addressed to whom it may concern. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so if I can, I guess I'll just center a fireball right in the middle of all of them. All right, so uh, starting things off with a bang, Miss Maple raises her hands towards the gloomy ceiling of the cave and channels a fireball and unleashes a surprise welcome. Go ahead and roll uh, and give yourself a plus two bonus to your roll to your roll here for surprise. So I got. Um... Nine plus three is 12 plus two, so 14 in total. Yes. Yeah. So your fireball erupts as if the obelisk itself exploded with flame. There is a roar of agony that Oops. goes up from the troop of Durgar, and they curse in ancient dwarvish and chaos. So how many uh, creatures does that target? It targets up to three... Um, and then it destroys non-magical traps or terrain pierce, uh, pieces nearby um, and does 35 points of damage. All right, so here's the breakdown. There's a leader. Mm-hmm. There are two, um, two Durgar cudgels and three Durgar crossbows. So basically a leader, two warriors, and three archers. How do you want to distribute... Uh, you get to pick three. How do you want to distribute that? Yeah, I'd like to target the leader and the two crossbow people because they also get knocked down as well. Awesome. So the leader takes 35 damage and is bloodied, so he is under half his total hit points. And you destroy... So two of the crossbow Durgar go up in flames, fall to the ground, they disappear behind the miniature city, and they do not get back up. Oops. Leaving only one of the Durgar crossbows remaining. He wheels around and points the crossbow at you. The two Durgar cudgels smash them against their shields and roar out. The leader points and shouts at you in chaos, and the battle begins. So I need the both of you to roll initiative. That's going to be a d6 plus your saving throw value. That's a four for me. Two for me. All right. Woo. 
So the environment will go first. Arrow will go second, and Miss Maple will go last. So the explosion of the fireball incinerates two of the Duragar warriors. Severely wounds the Duragar leader. But that is not the only thing that happens, Miss Maple. It also scorches several miniature pyramids and uh -oh. blows apart some of the defensive walls. The Duragar fly into a rage and begin swinging their cudgels and their weapons and begin knocking over their towers, smashing into pyramids. And that is when the entire cave fills with the furious beating of wings. It's a fairy city. Oh no. And you hear the clanking of armor and the shouting of tiny voices. And flying out in formation are hundreds of tiny women out of their pyramids and their towers and their barracks. And they look like this. Nice. So they fly up and they see the Duragar that are flailing and smashing the buildings. And they start to loose arrows and point spears. And you can see that tiny little chariots start flying out through the avenues. They then look to you and begin to knock arrows and point spears. But then, yeah, see that? And then both of you kind of do that movement of throwing your hands up. And that's when Errol, your scorpion ring, glistens through the darkness. And you see one particular fairy. And one thing you do notice is that these are not undead. Unlike the ones that you dealt with in the tomb, these are not mindless undead. These are very much alive. And the one that you see hovering above the rest in golden shimmering armor, presumably their leader, sees the ring on your finger, Errol, looks to the others, and speaks. And though it is in a language you can't understand, imagine, if you will, uh, subtitles in a very appropriate, like, Brendan Fraser the Mummy, like, Egyptian subtitle font. <laughs> uh-huh. And it says, they're servants of the Scorpion Queen. You gain a special power that you can use in this battle against the Duragar. You can give, at the start of each round, a command. You now command the fairy armies of the Scorpion Queen. Oh, yeah. That's so cool. And if you can picture it from their perspective, they are participating in a kaiju battle between <laughs> you and the Duragar in the middle of their city. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So at the start of your turn, at the start of the turn, you get to pick one of these tactics for the fairy armies. Uh, drive the chariots forward, which means you'll gain a plus one to attack rolls this round. You can command them to form a winged shield wall. You'll gain a plus two to saving throws this turn. You can command them to mend the wounded, so one of you will heal 10 hit points. Or you can command them to volley sunlight arrows, and one enemy will take 10 points of damage. So because that's the environment goes first, um, the two of you, you'll just decide by consensus, what would you like to command the fairy army to do against the Duragar this turn? 
and there are for my there's two Durgar cudgels, one Durgar crossbow, and the Durgar leader. We could sink some damage into that leader if he's already bloody. That's what I was going to advocate for. Yeah, if he's already under half health. Hit that leader. All right. So the tiny fairy uh, sort of war leader hovers by your shoulder, Errol, right? So describe how you give the command. So I imagine Errol is just going to look over and just, because he can't speak, he's going to pantomime, like pulling a very tiny bow back <laughs> and like do, like do this. And he's going to take a rock and throw it at the Draugr leader just to like hit him in the head a little bit, just to like mark the target. Amazing. And again, she points and shouts in this squeaky tiny voice that somehow booms uh, through the cave. And you see little pinpoints of light shoot out all throughout this cave. And again, just imagine like this very hieroglyphic subtitle font of fire. And they all volley out and deal 10 points of damage to the Duragar leader. Who is alive still? Yes. And he is uh-huh. enraged. All right. Errol, it is now your turn. The battle rages on. How close am I to, like, what's the arrangement of the cudgels versus the archer versus the leader, like, in just in space and the, so to the, each other and so near So the cudgels me. are up front, uh, leaders in the middle, and the crossbows in the back. Okay. Um, and they're, the, they're on the they're, opposite side, so movement will be kind of restricted because you have to make your way through the avenues of the fairy city. Um... And kind of like Errol a, like a gonna... Godzilla type situation, you have to be careful to like step over their pyramids mm-hmm. and not knock mm-hmm. over their cities and stuff, or uh, crush so their little I... chariot. Like you're watching, you see little tiny chariots under your boots. I think like Arrow would like get up on his toes and kind of like, you know, like uh, ballet walk forward to try <laughs> to avoid everything. Uh, but then at the last second, as he gets close to the cudgels, he would like center his stance and just smash his fist into one of the cudgels using one of the gauntlets of ogre power. Uh, to try to take him out. Amazing. That is a nine. All right, so you will hit, but he will get to retaliate. And that is uh, 15 damage, and I gain a plus two to my next saving throw. All right, so... When you hit, the Durgar lets out a roar and belches a cloud of flame. And you see his kind of brazen muscles flex under his charcoal-colored armor. And he speaks a power word of chaos and grows to twice his size. He now towers as tall as the obelisk. The fairy warriors who already regarded the Duragar as titans demolishing their city. You hear their tiny voices scream out in anger and fear. The first thing that this Duragar does is punch down on you for 10 points of damage, Errol. And then because of their great size, because of his great size, he will potentially crush a phalanx of fairy warriors or one of their pyramids. Unless you can stand in the way. I need you to make a saving throw. 
and thank goodness you've got your uh, plus one floating here. That is a 12. Nicely done, because if you would have failed, I would have randomly removed one of these tactics from the board. Alright, Miss Maple, you are up. So, if I did a burning hands at the leader, is there another enemy that's close by to target oh, with yeah. that as well? You'll have a, um, a, a crossbow, a wound, the giant cudgel, or the still normal size cudgel. Okay, I will um, I'll go for the leader and then the wounded cudgel wielder that Errol hit um, with burning hands. And I rolled a 12. Yes. Was that was that uh, boxcars on the dice? I got a six and a four on the dice, and then I have a plus oh. two from Burning Hands. Gotcha. It wasn't a critical hit? No. Still, that's amazing. So you just thrust your hands forward, and the flames lash out. So how many points of damage is that? It is 15 points of damage yes. to both those enemies. So describe how you defeat the Duragar leader. Uh, I'm just gonna try and bob and weave through the fairies and like try tiptoeing because I really don't want to anger them mm -hmm. uh, and then like pop my head up uh, like whack-a-mole and just shoot my hands out real fast and I don't even see the aftermath I just duck back down so I don't even realize <laughs> the leader is dead amazing and what you can hear is that the uh, fairies begin unrolling these golden chains and they start to tie down the smoking body of the defeated Duragar leader in kind of a Gulliver's Travels type scenario and pin him to the ground. And then you also deal 15 damage to the large Duragar cudgel who is also in a pretty bad way. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And you hear when you do that, little tiny cheers for you rise up from throughout the entire city. I'll also just clap my hands because I'm not sure if I <laughs> succeeded. <laughs> Amazing. All right, so we're at the top of the order again. Uh, the fairy warriors are rallying on the back of the uh, progress that has been made in the battle. What tactic do you choose for this turn? We could do damage to that damage cudgel user. You read my mind. Another volley, please. Yeah, so you point your finger at the large Durgar cudgel who threatens to wreak more havoc on the underground miniature city of the fairy, PH fairy warriors. And ten points is exactly enough. Nice. So the, the giant cudgel, just a giant pincushion, is riddled with these glowing sunlight arrows threatens to fall forward and crush just a number of pyramids and temples and shrines, but Errol, thinking quickly, you push forward and throw the Duragar back against the cave wall, saving an entire district of the fairy city. Nice. There is one Duragar cudgel remaining, one crossbow remaining. Looks like the battle's in your favor. Errol, what do you do? Uh, I think I really want to turn into a giant scorpion, but I don't think that would be a great idea just because of the fairy city uh, and being able to delicately not smash anything. 
Yeah, and uh, I actually have very specifically written down here. Be very careful if you transform into a giant scorpion here. Yeah, uh, so I think I'm going to avoid that, and I'm just going to turn uh, to the Draugar next to me uh, and just use the Enchanted Axe, um, and that would just do 10 damage if I hit. That is another 9. All right, so you deal 10 points of damage. The axe cleaves and embeds itself into the charcoal-colored armor. He, too, grows to giant size. But rather than trying to stomp down on the fairy city, he instead turns and tries to push over the obelisk, the great colossal obelisk, that the stone face told you was the key to finding a relic that can let you enter a shrine of the goddess of death. I need for you to make me a saving throw. Um, and does the plus three from the Cloak of Resistance count here? Yes. Uh, so that is a 13. Yeah, so you manage to swoop around the side, your cloak of resistance billowing in the glow of all of the fairy arrows that are shooting through the sunlight arrows on the opposite side of the obelisk, and you push with your own strength. Nicely done. Miss Maple, what are you doing? You are still crouching down underneath these miniature pyramids and temples. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pop up again and sling an acid arrow at the um, Duragar that's trying to push that obelisk down. Nicely done. Go ahead and unleash it. Uh, that is five plus two, so seven. So that will hit, but it will get to retaliate. Okay. So how many points of damage? Uh, five. All right. And then it's vulnerable for next turn. So he unleashes a quarrel from his crossbow. It hits you in the shoulder. You take five points of damage. And I need you to make a saving throw as you feel this, almost as if like molten lava were pouring through your veins. Uh-oh. Uh, that is a five. Oh. oh. So you are going to take ongoing 10 fire damage. So oh, at the no. start of each of your turns, you're gonna take 10 points of fire damage. Uh-oh. Okay, top of the order. What tactic are you going to choose for the fairy army? I mean, it's getting repetitious, but Laura, I think we just need to keep using the volley on uh, the giant ogre has taken on 15, no, 20, 15 points of damage at this point, so it would take it up to 25. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. Yeah. I will, I will offer one piece of unsolicited DM advice. Um, how many hit points do you have left for? I have 25. Okay, because if you are destroyed by the ongoing fire damage, you will be mm-hmm. disintegrated. Oh, no. So that, that I... weakened shield wall saving throw bonus could be helpful, but if you've got 25 hit points, you might be okay. Okay, because I haven't taken the 10 points of fire damage yet. It's at the start of my turn. Okay. Yeah. So this might be the last round we get to use that attack. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right, do you want to do that, Laura? Keep yeah. the volley going. Yep. Pew pew. Ag against the uh, the the cudgel. Yeah. All right. So the volley of sunlight arrows lighting up this otherwise gloomy underground cave. Pinpricks of light shooting out. The Duragar, insensible, just continues to try to push the obelisk over. Errol, you standing on the other side, basically at like one-fifth the height of this enlarged Duragar, trying to keep this obelisk from being pushed over. What do you do? Uh, I feel like Errol would like strain with all his might with one hand to keep the obelisk up, then pull his axe and try to cut the Achilles tendon uh, of the Draugr to cause it to fall over so that it stops being able to knock the uh, obelisk. All right, go for it. Oh, don't fail me now, Dice. Well, that's pits. That's a five. Oh, no. Uh-oh. All right, so the first thing that happens is that the obelisk, you hear a really unsettling grinding of stone, and you feel a weight pushed down on you. The obelisk is pushed over one half, and it teeters towards you. The Durgar crossbow then speaks a power word of chaos and becomes invisible. Oh, oh no. And Miss Maple, you feel a stinging sensation as another quarrel hits you for five points of damage, and the ongoing damage increases to 15. Oh, no. Whew. This might be Miss Maple's uh, last act. <laughs> and it is now Miss Maple's turn. Well, I take that 15 points of fire damage at the start, so I'm at five points. Oh, man, you're seeing the um, red border around your screen, around your HUD here. Yeah, uh, I might as well use my biggest spell if I'm about to possibly die, oh. so I'm gonna summon a monster. And you do um, have the uh, you have one drink of the Oasis potion that gives you plus ten. Oh, I should probably do that. Um, that gives me my spells back as well. It gives you one spell back, um, or you can you can uh, live on the edge and because after your turn, uh, you will get you can use men the wounded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can have the fairies heal you, but again, it's going to be living on the edge. Yeah, I think I will drink that oasis potion and get back my fireball as well. Nice. That would be very fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I'm at 15 hit points. All right, you feel the cool water on your throat. Going to try not to die here. All right, and you want to cast that fireball? Oh, I didn't realize I get to cast as well um i would actually try using my last burning hands to get that um the durgar that's pushing over the obelisk and then hopefully aim at the invisible crossbow user as well sure so i'll give you a choice here because the crossbow is invisible i will say you can aim carefully and take a minus two to your roll and not risk hitting hitting any of the fairies. Or you can aim less carefully, not take a minus two, 
but if you roll poorly, you're going to hit one of the fairies. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm going to... I feel like I cheated because I already rolled the dice, so should I <laughs> re-roll? Yeah, I was you'll gonna have say... to re-roll. Okay. I'm going to uh, take the minus two to try and not hit the fairies. Gotcha. So basically giving yourself a better... So basically you're spraying indiscriminately with the hopes of hitting the invisible Duragon. Yeah, while also avoiding the fairies because I don't want to irk them. <laughs> Yeah, but the, but the risk is like you're spraying indiscriminately, so you're giving yourself a better chance of hitting the Duragard, mm -hmm. thus you're not taking the penalty to hit. Yeah. But or, oh, no, 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 I'm taking the I'm taking the penalty to hit. Okay, so then you are I, yeah. aiming carefully. So okay. minus two. Yeah, sorry about that. So I got a yeah. nine minus two is seven. Gotcha. So that will be, uh, you will hit both the invisible Duragar and the cudgel that's big. Um but there will be one retaliation that happens. So you, first thing that happens is that you swing with your left or your left hand and the invisible Duragar suddenly becomes visible, not to attack, but to let out a dark, guttural, chaotic scream. And he falls to a heap at your feet. You have defeated the Duragar crossbow. Nice. You deal 15 points of damage to the enlarged Duragar cudgel. But he is not defeated. Oh. And he uh -oh. has five hit points remaining. He releases the obelisk and it remains teetering at like a 45 degree angle? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it means teetering yeah. precariously threatening to fall off of its dais and tumble down on top of Errol. And rather than swing its great weapon or stomp down on the fairy warriors that circle around his feet on golden chariots or on beating glowing wings, instead, the enlarged Duragar begins to chant an incantation to one of the dark chaos gods oh, no. that Errol spoke of. And you can see that thick purple slime starts to drip down between cracks in the ceiling. And before you are able to realize what is happening, Miss Maple, you see that an ooze, a figure of ooze, rises in front of you in the exact likeness of yourself wielding the Book of the Dead. Oh. And that is where I, we end for tonight's episode. I'm very excited. Oh, man. <laughs> but also oh. very scared. Amazing. That was great. Mm-hmm. We haven't died yet. Truly amazing. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Don't forget to check out the library to level up your game. We have InDesign to make maps, Photoshop to create memorable monsters, 
and Logic Pro for creating battle music. These are available on select computers on the second floor of the main library. If you want to learn how to use these resources, you can check out lynda.com, which is free with your library card. Check with staff if you have any questions. We also have a good selection of manuals and books to inspire you to build your own games. Those will be linked in the podcast description. If you have a program or service idea related to D&D, send us a comment on our website and we'll do what we can. Thanks for listening.